Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited to have with me today, Maisha Minter Jordan. Maisha is the president and CEO of CareQuest Institute of Oral Health. She's an MD, MBA, and an amazing leader, very well-known and well-respected. And I'm so excited to have her, as I mentioned. So one thing I want to point out that I find is fascinating, in addition to Maisha's medical work and her leadership of her organization, she is also one of the founding members of the new Commonwealth Racial Equity and Social Justice Fund, which provides philanthropic support to community groups and coalitions fighting systemic racism and racial inequality in the Commonwealth. Originally seated with $20 million, the NCF aims to raise $100 million. Maisha is very well involved in the community in other places and serves on the board of Blue Shield of California, Yaki Foundation, Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum, and is board emeritus at the Boston Foundation and Point 32 Health. So welcome, Maisha. So great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited too. So we're going to start where we always start on entering the inspiration zone. And that is if you could tell our listeners about yourself, your journey, and who is Maisha? Oh, goodness. That's a broad question. So as you said, I am the president and CEO of CareQuest Institute for Oral Health. I'm so proud to lead an organization that is focused on improving oral health for all. Our intended impact is really focused on ensuring that underserved and marginalized communities have access to health care that is integrated, equitable, and accessible. We're lifting up oral health as a critical component of what the healthcare system should include as we think about broad definitions of health. And beyond that, I'm focused on health equity. I'm focused on how health should be defined for all individuals and their families, how we bring the voices of those who are marginalized and underrepresented to the table, how we design programs and initiatives to improve their health, understanding that if we can accomplish that, we will improve the health for all people in our country. Additionally, I'm, I'm a mother of two beautiful young women and a wife and a dedicated community member. I've been in Boston now for 16, going on 17 years, although I'm originally from New York and will always claim that as my home. So mm -hmm. were you born in New York? Oh, yes. I was born and raised. Born and raised in New York. And I left New York for college and have not gone back to live, but still have extensive family there and always will consider myself a New Yorker. My formative years in high school were spent on the train and on the bus and 
hanging out in Queens in Manhattan, most notably the village. So I've had an incredible upbringing growing up in, in Long Island with my parents. My mom was a nurse for 35 years. My father worked for the Department of Sanitation and also managed some real estate properties. So I grew up middle class in Long Island and, and that really formed a lot of who I am today that I take with me. But my parents also have Southern roots. And so I have a, a bit of Southern roots in me as well. If you taste my biscuits, you'll know. <laughs> oh, wow. I, <laughs> I have to taste those biscuits. I don't know if, if they'll rival uh -huh. uh, the West Indian biscuits, but. Oh, we can have a, a bake-off. And I also treasure my time in Boston and all that I've learned. Boston is such an incredible place in terms of healthcare, in terms of the work that we do, and the opportunities that I've experienced here in terms of my career growth and ability to not only lead a community health center, the Dimmick Center situated in Roxbury, which is a primarily black and brown community, but also to work very closely with a, a number of mayors, governors. I've just had an incredible opportunity to learn about myself as a healthcare leader and to expand my scope and to be part of amazing tables where decisions were made that impacted many of the people that lived throughout the Commonwealth. Right. And so what interested you first in going into the health profession, you're a medical doctor and also a passionate, what I would describe as someone who's passionate, not only passionate, but action-oriented in helping to solve some pretty big problems. And so what inspired you? Why did you pursue that path? My mother will say that I have always wanted to be a doctor since the time that I was seven. So there's no time in my life that I can recall that I was not focused on becoming a doctor. And for me, it's always been about that connection with people and particularly going to medical school at Brown University in Rhode Island and then doing my training at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. I just had incredible opportunities to work with patients who looked like me, who patients who came from poor areas in Baltimore and, and in Rhode Island who were encountering the healthcare system, feeling disenfranchised and disempowered to work with them to help navigate that system. That's something that's always been incredibly important to me to make sure that I am living up to the, the creed of my profession and partnering with patients um, in their journey in healthcare, but also focusing on that what that partnership meant and how I could better understand the journey of my patients and those who I've been able to touch through my work on health policy so that it informs the work moving forward and that it's not decisions being made in a room where there is no one who actually is experiencing the output of those decisions being able to influence how those decisions are made. So that's been always something that's been top of mind for me and better for better or for worse thought about any other path. But the path has also been really different. I mean, I started off thinking I would always be in patient care. And now, particularly once I went back to school and got my master's in business, I began to think more broadly about the system and my role in trying to influence and transform the system and have been really fortunate to have opportunities to do that. Yeah. And you're in a unique role in the sense that you're a medical professional as well as a CEO, and you're also very involved in helping to change policies and now leading the work at CareQuest Institute for Oral Health. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. 
So tell us about that transition, right? So you, you went to medical school. You obviously were a medical doctor, very impressive institutions, both in terms of your academic credentials and in terms of where you actually practiced medicine. And so now you're at CareQuest Institute for Oral Health. And tell us about that, because I don't think people really understand that connection between oral health and overall health. So tell us about that and tell us a little bit about CareQuest. Sure. I came into this work, um, as you mentioned, I'm a medical doctor, not a, not a dentist, not an oral health professional. But I began to realize very early on in my career, and this was not by through medical school and through my training, quite actually, it was more so through the experience of seeing patients who did not have their teeth because of poor health or patients who had to wait to have their surgery performed because they had to have dental work done to reduce the chance of infection. I began to see that very early on in my training. And then when I became the chief medical officer and subsequently the president and CEO of the Demick Center, the federally qualified community health center in Roxbury, there were so many clear connections between oral health and overall health, but also behavioral health and overall health that I experienced in my time there, where it became for me incredibly important for us to step back and think about what should healthcare look Look like? How could healthcare be more holistic? And I began to do a lot of work supported by incredible experts at the Demick Center around behavioral health integration. And then one of the first things, particularly because we had a number of substance use disorder programs that patients coming into those programs would talk about was the need for oral health care. Demick also has Head Start and Early Head Start program. They have about 400 beautiful little children on campus every day. And one of the things I would notice when I was down there were these babies with really poor dentition, rotting teeth that would cause them pain. And then I began to understand that we were putting these babies to sleep with anesthesia in order to fix their cavities because it's, you know, you can imagine trying to get a two-year-old to sit in the chair and have a cavity drilled. The treatment is really to uh, do it under anesthesia. And so I then, we had a dental clinic at Demick and I made connections between the dental clinic and our Head Start program and had the oral health providers go to the classrooms and educate the teachers and the parents about not putting juice in the baby's bottle and putting them to sleep, things that would create these cavities and poor dentition that I was seeing. And our substance use disorder program, we would prioritize dental appointments for patients coming in in recovery so that they could go out and get a job and return to the communities that their substance use disorder prevented them from being fully engaged in. So it became more and more apparent to me then. And then I began to work diligently on these integrated comprehensive programs and tracking data about whether or not those patients were getting oral health care. It also became clearer in the medical literature about the connection between cardiovascular disease or heart disease and diabetes and oral health. And so we created initiatives where we would create a roster of all of our diabetic patients in our primary care clinic and ensure that they had a dental appointment and really thinking about what are some of the things that can be done in the dental office. And we'd be, we rolled out a program of testing patients for HIV in the dental clinic. And so it was this really amazing way and community health centers are such an amazing representation of what healthcare should be when it is fully integrated. 
And so I took that model and that experience into my role at CareQuest Institute, where we are focused on ensuring that healthcare is equitable, accessible, and integrated, and creating models around the country of what that should look like, understanding how important data sharing is. We also are the largest funder in oral health in the country, where we dedicate $14 million a year to organizations that are focused on oral health or that are focused on oral health integration. We produce through our analytics data and insights team, an immense body of literature around health equity as it pertains to oral health. And we lift up specific facts around the fact that almost 80 million Americans have no dental coverage. We lift up inequities in race and ethnicity. Black and Hispanic adults report that they've never been to a dentist at more than three times the rate of white adults. Black adults are 68% more likely to have an unmet dental need as compared to white adults. Asian Americans have untreated tooth decay at a rate of 51% as compared to a national average of 19%. So we lift up all of these important facts and, and inequities in access to oral health, as well as coupling with that with information about the importance of the integration of oral health. And we're pushing forward a model where healthcare can be transformed if it is inclusive of health equity and if it is inclusive of all facets of a patient's body. You know, there's really no rationale for us to why we don't talk about healthcare and include oral health as part of that and why the mouth is separate from the body. Yeah, it's quite interesting because most people, I think, well, actually you have the data that shows it, people don't make the connection, first of all, and just don't understand the impact of not taking care of the oral health and what that actually does. So I think it's great that you're doing that. I think also when people think about equity, when they think about health equity, oral health is not what comes to mind, but yet it's such, you know, it's such a critical part of that. And the work that you're doing is shining a light on that and helping to people to make those connections. So thank you for the work that you do and are inspiring. So what do you think leaders that your organization is certainly doing that work on a national level and also leading, doing work on policy and a lot of other fronts? What can leaders, business leaders, and those who are in organizations who are making healthcare decisions about what kinds of plans they provide to their employees, what kinds of plans they provide to their community. What can they do to help to lift this up and to help to advance it? I thank you for that question, and I appreciate the support in this space. It is a business imperative. When I think about leaders making decisions about their own benefit offerings, when you are not inclusive of oral health, you're missing out on an opportunity to reduce the number of days that your employees miss work and improving um, opportunities around productivity. When we have patients or, or employees who have comorbidities like diabetes and cardio and, or heart disease or cardiovascular issues, when we don't think about oral health as a factor in that we miss out on opportunities to improve their outcomes and reduce costs that employers bear in terms of providing health care insurance. When we miss out on the connection between oral health and maternal morbidity and mortality, we impede our ability to have women who have had babies return to work without some of the issues that accompany maternal morbidity that could have been prevented by managing their oral health through their pregnancy. Poor oral health leads to premature birth. 
And so there are implicit and explicit connections that we need to draw between oral health and overall health that would help employers to make better decisions, improve employee productivity, and reduce overall costs for healthcare. We know that healthcare costs are exponentially increasing. And as employers, we should be looking at a number of ways to help reduce those costs because it is something that is hitting the bottom line of our businesses. And so I've always talked about community health centers always, when I joined the community health center movement, which I'm so proud to have done, there was such a strong emphasis on the moral case for care integration. And over time, we community health center leaders and many others have developed much stronger cases around the business case for or health integration and also for health equity. Because if we're spending more money on individuals who look like you and I or individuals, who, veterans or people from LGBTQ plus communities, we need to think about resource allocation to better address those needs. And if we don't understand and collect the data to be able to then make a difference in resource and resource allocation following that data, then we're missing out on an opportunity to not only improve outcomes, but to reduce costs. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that. And so what can individuals do? Because I have to confess, I am someone who is petrified of going to the dentist, not my current dentist. <laughs> I am too. But, uh, <laughs> you are too? Oh, oh my gosh, my yes. <laughs> but, you know, and I always have to, you know, chide myself about that. But actually, it was so funny when I worked at the Demick Center, I had a dentist, uh, and I won't name her, but she, in the clinic, she was afraid of needles. And I had to really cajole her to get her flu vaccine. And I'm like, you give needles all day, and you're afraid to get it. So the, the fear is is real and is there. And, you know, I think we have to understand that. But if we could also focus on prevention, then it may not get to the point where we are worried about needles and worried about what our experience might be. And that's an opportunity, a missed opportunity as as well. Well, thank you. It makes me feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, not being a dentist, I, I do make a lot of jokes with my oral health professional colleague about that. But, you know, women don't love getting pap smears. Men don't love getting prostate exams. I mean, there's so many parts of our of our bodies that we treasure, where we hold our bodies, hopefully in high esteem. And, and But we know that the prevention is so important that we do these things because they're necessary. Women don't love getting mammograms. I mean, they're so colonoscopies, you name it. But there's so many things that if we know we do them, and if we're educated and empowered as, as consumers, as patients about the importance of them, we will do them. Yeah, I think that's the big part, the education part, right, of helping to educate everyone, really, the business community, individuals, doctors on how they can better engage patients so that they are doing what they need to do and seeing the benefit of it. And then employers supporting people getting the care that they need, whether it's through social support, programmatic support, etc. So uh, very important work. And thank you for all that you're doing in that regard. I want to talk a little bit about the new Commonwealth Racial Equity and Social Justice Fund, because I just think that's so impressive. Another impressive thing that you're doing and is definitely part of the pie. So tell us about that and why it's important and how people can support it. 
Thank you for that. So we call it for short NCF, the New Commonwealth Fund, and proud to have um, Dr. Makiba McCreary as our president and CEO of that fund. But it was born shortly after the murder of George Floyd. I remember getting a call from a good colleague of mine, Damien Wilmot, who said, you know, there are so many of us are in these incredible places of power within Boston and Massachusetts. How can we leverage that power to really impact systemic racism, the things that lead to the murder of so many Black and brown people? And he called me, he called a number of others, and we got on calls and we we were meeting at one point, I'd say two to three times a week, figuring out what we could do, where were the areas that we could have impact. And we decided that we would create the new Commonwealth Fund to work on several pillars, criminal justice reform, economic empowerment, youth engagement, health mm-hmm. equity, and then we more recently added arts and culture to that. And we decided we were going to raise a fund and that fund would be allocated to organizations led by black and brown leaders, understanding that they were most proximate to the issues and they were coming up with the solutions that would really affect change. We created, most recently created a 501c3, but at the time when we started, we were housed at the Boston Foundation and we personally gave and implored our companies to give and initially raised $20 million, um, as you noted earlier, um, and we set a goal of raising 100 million. We're between 30 and 40 million raised now. And we give that money to organizations in the manner of trust-based philanthropy. So, you know, we think about sort of startups and how we have these amazing entrepreneurs who come up with an idea and they are immediately given funding in a way that allows them to scale their impact. But we don't extend that same grace and trust to organizations led by people of color. We know that two cents of every dollar, philanthropic dollar, goes to an organization led by a black or brown person. So our goal is to is to change that and to create a network of leaders that have access not only to our funds, but to the larger philanthropic pools of dollars in a way that empowers them in partnership with them and respects them as the leaders that they are and their knowledge of these issues because they are closer to them. So we allocate those dollars across the Commonwealth. We look for organizations. We don't necessarily ask that organizations come to us, but we look for organizations that are operating within those pillars. And some of them operate across many pillars because we know about the intersectionality that those areas are represented by. And we you know, lift up those leaders and give them the tools and resources that they need to enable their success. So it's been one of the most incredible opportunities for me personally to be able to give my time. It's not something I get paid to do. I did it on my weekends and thank goodness now we've transitioned a lot of that work to Makiba. But as a board member now, we're able to support the original mission of NCF and the ongoing work and continuing to raise dollars in these spaces to bring in other leaders from philanthropic organizations to help them to understand these basic ideas around trust-based philanthropy, to introduce them to these organizations. And so we're at www.newcommonwealthfund.org is how you can find out more about what we do and how you can support those efforts. We're changing, we're having really amazing conversations and changing the way that philanthropy is done, not only in Massachusetts, but across the country. We've been engaged in conversations with other philanthropic organizations about our model. And it's been, like I said, one of the most gratifying things that I've, I've done in professional life. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations to you and to all of the founders and the continuous wonderful work that's going on there. And it's hard to believe that the time is flying away and (laughs) I'm so enjoying our conversation. Me too. So what I'm going to do is just summarize a little bit of what I've heard in terms of the key takeaways. And there are always so many, but in your case, you know, it's pretty clear that the commitment to health equity and what leaders can do. So I'm going to do that. And then I want you to share with our listeners how they can reach you. And and so feel free to be ready to do that. So we started the conversation talking about health equity and your work as a medical doctor who really embraces and champions health equity and has done that both in terms of your leadership as a community health center CEO previously and now as the CEO of CareQuest Institute for Oral Health. And I think one of the key things I want people, particularly those who are leaders, to walk away with is to thinking about what you can do. What can you as a leader do? And what you advised us to do is to really to think about the whole system. Think about how are you supporting employees? Think about the impact uh, that not supporting them, not providing them with the right benefits and so forth will have on their overall health, given the connection of oral health to overall health. And you also talked about what the individuals can do in terms of addressing our fears and making sure that we're getting our the right care that's necessary in order to make sure we have optimal health. And of course, this focus on the philanthropy piece and the importance of supporting black and brown organizations and those who are helping to do things such as advancing health equity and also advancing, in this particular case, the new Commonwealth Fund. And I I would encourage uh, people to really look that up and support it. And what we'll do is include that link in the show notes as well, in addition to how you would like people to reach you. So go ahead and tell them how our listeners reach you. So you can certainly reach me um, through our website, which is www.carequest.org. I'm also on LinkedIn as an individual, but I think our our website in particular has incredible information for businesses, for individuals, for community groups about the importance of oral health, about, you know, helping things to help you think about the business case. And as the economy and all the pressures that businesses experience now are just increasing, I invite you uh, leaders to really look at that with that critical eye of of how oral health and a focus on oral health can improve that bottom line and improve the health of your employees and and of yourselves and your family. So this has been such an incredible um, opportunity, Juliet. I'm inspired by you as I think about your inspiration zone and the work that you do in making these connections. And I'm really grateful for you being in this space and having these kinds of conversations with people like myself and allowing us this platform and sharing your platform um, in the way that you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Wonderful to have you. And I look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast 
in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.